This is the Ridgeline Leadership Podcast, episode 44. Here we go. What's up, everyone? This is Blake and Peter, and welcome back to the Ridgeline Leadership Podcast, the podcast that empowers aspiring leaders to identify, connect to, and advance on the path of leadership. And today, it is not just Blake and Peter. We got Jen Ramo back. Thanks for coming. Man, uh, I don't remember what episode we had you on, but it's definitely been like one of my favorites. I've listened to it multiple times, and anytime I need a, a Jen fix, I tend to just toss it on. So super excited you're back. Um, today, we've, we're going to have a kind of more of a question answer style, just kind of like digging into a concept. And I and I thought, um, you know, we were talking before the podcast started on uh, just that yesterday, I was just sitting down and I was like, what do I want everyone else to be able to get that I get from Jen? And then it like hit me, it was like, man, the ability to know that like as leaders, we're going to fail, we're going to mess up, we're going to plateau, we're going to do dumb things. And when you're all alone, that's really hard to come out of. Sure like is. when you fall into a, a a ditch, it is not easy to come out of that by yourself. And so today I just, I think you just have such good wisdom and ideas and perspectives for, for fleshing out like what's, what is it that we do or need to do in those times. And so I'm, I'm just excited to jump into this, but thanks so much for coming on today. Oh, I'm always stoked to spend time with you fellas. You know that it's very exciting. Good, good. Well, we're gonna, we're gonna get nerdy and dirty here. All right. So let's do it. it. So um, first question I've got is just what do you think? Um, or what do you feel like holds leaders back from their growth early on? I think a lot of it has to do with confidence and the the knowledge that you belong where you are that I think that knowledge is sometimes only achieved through experience and that can be uh, challenging when you're younger and you don't have that experience and so we were talking about uh, whether or not you you fake it till you make it earlier and um, <laughs> I fall absolutely on the side of fake it till you make it yes let's yeah, go absolutely. let's go guys Absolutely. I mean, if, Listen, what, you, you both what are, you are eight. Do? That's all there is that's, to it. That's absolutely true. We are Enneagram eights, no doubt about it. So we do have a certain mindset about things. But my my question to you is, what do you do otherwise? You know, if you're um, in this situation and you really don't yeah. know, what do you do? Just stand there and look dumb? No, you ask. You start asking questions. You <laughs> you make it known that, hey, I've done this once, but I don't know all the answers on it. So I'm willing to jump in, but I wanna get I wanna get as much knowledge as I can. Well, that's I my think, perspective on it. I think that's a good approach. It it's definitely a good approach. And I think that it's our wrong, approach right? No, it's not because <laughs> I think it's more about mindset. So yes, ask questions. Ask all the questions and don't be afraid to do that because every leader that you're asking questions of has been a leader 
in training at some point in their lives. And so they recognize that that is part of the process of growing into your leadership ability. However, I think there's got to be a confidence or a mindset that says, I can do this, I will do this, and Mm -hmm. it can be done, you know, so you get to a a spot where it becomes not quite inevitable, but at least you, uh, you tip the scales in your favor of being able to do the thing. Yeah, you know, I, I actually, and this is, this is maybe silly to some people, but Jen, I know you and I are real similar in this. I, I do a lot of mind talk to myself or like preaching to myself or talking to myself about like, when it comes to confidence and one of the, you said, you almost said verbatim one thing that like, when I don't know what to do, one of the things that I'll say to myself is I can, I will, I'm going to, and I'll just start saying that over and over in my hand. I can, I will, I'm going to. And it, when you start saying that to yourself enough times, that's your, it's your default, right? You're kind of resetting your default there. Mm -hmm. And so that when shit does happen, I don't go to a place that I have to like, look for permission or come to, you know, who, who am I going to, what, what do I need to, nope, I'm just, I can, I will, I'm going to, and I will make a ton of mistakes doing that too. No doubt about it. <clears throat> no yes. doubt about it. But you short circuit the panic. I think that's like one of the things I think I've, I've learned in my life is to uh, accelerate the, the stages of, of grief. And I think that learning is much like, um, the stages of grief where you recognize that you haven't, you know, that you, you didn't know something, that you made a mistake, you feel bad about it, uh, you wonder what other people think of you, and then uh, you, you, you start learning from it, and then you put mm-hmm. it in your rear view. And I, I jump right to acknowledgement of the mistake, learn from it, rear view. That's it. That's mm-hmm. where I go. And I wow, think that good. the ability to, to not panic is is trainable. You can train yourself just like you were talking about Blake to train yourself not to get into that headspace to just say nope, that's not where I'm going. I'm going to jump right over that and get right to action. And mm. that's a muscle that I think people really need to understand is is developable. Mm, that is so good. You're so like even that what holds a leader back from growth early on in you going through the stages of grief you are so right that we will jump to denial and anger mm-hmm. and we live there. Yep. And that's why yes. leaders tend to never grow to leaders, right? Yeah. Or people tend to never grow to leaders is because they stay in anger and they stay in depression and they stay in those places that aren't bad. We have to experience those things. But man, I love that idea of just putting a fast track on some of that stuff. And, you know, some of it's going to, take longer for sure. You're going to have to experience some hardships a little differently than others, but man, to be able to fast track that, to get to a place of like being able to live with that and joy. And yeah, you're right. That is a more creative and worthwhile place to be. It doesn't, it doesn't do you any good to squat in, in the bad feelings. It it won't get you out of where you are was what I'm saying. You know, you can, I'm sure there's value to it. I don't spend enough time, as you guys know, in my feelings, but there is value to being there momentarily and acknowledging the, the yeah. place that you are and the feelings that are happening. But then what? You know, at some point, right. some point that has to end and there has to be a next thing. And there's- my, my possession is just, just try to get there sooner, the next thing mm-hmm. sooner. Yeah, there's no value in there's no growth and there's no opportunity in sitting in those moments of of disappointment in just sitting in the disappointment. 
if you just always stay there, you're never going to go to the next step. Um, it's yeah. And I think that takes you backwards, don't you? Mm. Like it takes you backwards to sit in that spot because then you got to undo all the damage that you just incurred by staying in that place for longer than you need to. And then do the thing that you were supposed to do in the beginning anyway. So it's like, why, why would we do that? Yep. You've you've done such a good job at that with me because I know that they've like I've called you on some pretty heavy shit before yeah. and been like, hey, here's here's what's going on. And I I think I think the thing that you're not saying that I want to make sure everybody hears is that you're not saying don't experience those feelings at all. That's right. That's right. You are because yeah. you do such a good job of like, like this really sucks. I am so sorry that you're going through this. But what can you do? And Absolutely. What, are your, what are your next thoughts here? Like what happens if you do nothing right now? And I, I love when you've asked me that, like what happens if you do nothing, Blake? And it just, it, it takes your brain out of that place of like reactionary and the like circumstances mm-hmm. are happening to me instead of understanding that circumstances are neutral and I've got a lot more to do. That's right. Um, and it's so good. Yeah. So how do you, how do you help leaders get out of that slump or plateau when you see that happen? I I usually start with a usually it's a dude like you know heartfelt <laughs> oh my god that really sucks you know like I I'm there with you like I feel it you know I've been there and then it's a you know so what did you learn yeah that's that's the first place I go because if you can take learning from a place of disappointment then then you've won you know you've gotten something out of it that that you never would have gotten without the disappointment. And so yeah. you, you put meaning into that disappointment. And eventually, if you have that mindset over and over and over again, the, the disappointments actually become, I, I don't know if I want to say a happy thing, but mm-hmm. they become something that's less terrible because you know that they're fuel for future growth and yeah. learning. Yeah, they're not hollow. Like disappointments are right. hollow until you have something to put in it. And you're saying learning is that thing. It is for me. You're right, man. That is so good. Because I hate to make the same mistake over and over again. I hate it more than anything else. And uh, there are places in my life where I do that and I get so frustrated with myself. But in in the sense where I can figure out what what the tip or the trick or the learning or what I'm not going to do in the future, that gives it that sense of meaning and, and makes it a little bit better. What do you think a leader's biggest fear is? Um, I think the uh, many leaders biggest fear is looking dumb, honestly, uh, feeling, look, feeling like they're embarrassed, feeling like they have been, you know, humiliated on some level. Mm. And I just sort of expect to be dumb on a regular basis, <laughs> you know, and, and to know that, uh, that I'm going to make mistake after mistake after mistake. And if I can take that learning from it, then those mistakes become fuel for my future growth. So I think a lot of leaders worry about their, um, how other people perceive them. Mm-hmm. And I think we talked about this last time. I'm more concerned about how they perceive themselves. And that's generally speaking where that fear of embarrassment or failure or whatever it is comes in is because that leader doesn't have the core of confidence in themselves to be able to say, I can take that blow to my ego because I'm, I'm, I have a core of confidence. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, we talked about the Enneagram last time quite a bit, um, how you and I are eights and you know we're just beating the shit out of everything. 
Yeah. Um, but when I think of most leaders, I don't know that all leaders are eights, you know, like they're all across the board. And so it does make this challenging to know like biggest fears and stuff like that. Um, I know this, this next question, I kind of prefaced all that for this next question. This next question is like, may not hit an eight the same way that I think it will hit other people. But I know a lot of leaders who really struggle with the idea of friendship and leadership and how do you have both and how do you, how can you lead people and yet then be your friend or, you know, you know, something like that, but how do you manage that difference between friendship and leadership? I had a, a really wonderful uh, boss uh, when I was very young. Uh, I was 25, I think I was, and went to work for my best friend's family business. And her dad was the CEO of that business. And she, in fact, was my boss. And uh, what he said to me was uh, something had happened and I, I felt bad, you know, and I felt terrible. I made a mistake. And I went to him and, and apologized sincerely and, and felt, you know, I was like, gosh, if you if you need me to leave, <clears throat> I, I'll leave. And he said, who, who better to, to have by your side than somebody that, you know, loves you and cares for you and is, is, uh, has your best interests at heart. He's like, I don't care how many mistakes you make. I know that you want, uh, your intentions are for us to succeed and that you care about our family and about our business. And that's what I want. And so he helped me understand that friendship in leadership can be a really great thing. It can be like, people say, don't hire your family. Don't hire friends. I don't believe that at all. Some of my best uh, professional relationships have, have been because of a pre-existing relationship. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to draw a pretty clear line between what's happening in the office and then what happens when you guys go out for drinks or whatever. And they, that family, the white family, they really taught me that uh, it was easy to do. You know, you could really, it was, it was easy to do. We just, you know, some things you don't do and, and you don't talk about when you're um, in the office, things that you do while you're hanging out as friends. And the other thing that you don't do is help is tell everybody that you're friends. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. A lot of yeah. times people who are in those positions, they, they lean into that friendship and they talk about it a lot as a way of belonging or being part of the, you know, sort of gaining a little bit of personal power, I think. And what that family taught me was you, you're going to have to work harder as my friend mm -hmm. than anybody else would have. Mm -hmm. And I hope you're ready for that because yep. everybody's going to think you got this job because we're friends and yeah. you need to earn it, you know, just like everybody else does. Yeah. When does it become toxic? Like that leadership aspect, when does that, when do you see that like not play well? I think when you cross those lines regularly, like you code switch between friend and, and, and coworker too, too easily, too casually, mm. uh, you know, when you're in, at work, you're, you're, your peers, your, your coworkers, when you're out of work, your friends, that's the distinction that I try to make. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to you know, uh, make inside jokes with that person or acknowledge our relationship on some level, but we got a job to do when we're in the office. And that's the way that I've always approached that. Yeah. And I do think we have a, oftentimes it's toxic when we have a bad misconception of what friendship is too, because mm -hmm. when it's all about keeping one person happy so that they stay your friend. Yeah. And I know that sounds so elementary and it sounds like we're talking about middle school, but the truth is, I don't know that a lot of us grow past that point emotionally. 
And so because that's the case, we're so afraid that I'm going to lose a friend if I have to say a hard thing to them. That's not a friend. I'm just here to tell you right now, that is not a friend. If you're not willing to lean into hard stuff with that person, that's an acquaintance. And it's one that is really kind of selfish that you're going after because you're trying to fill a hole that isn't, isn't even the right way to fill that hole. I guess. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I mean, I, I really believe that you cannot be a great friend without saying hard things. That, in mm-hmm. fact, is almost, uh, you know, you say hard things and you become a great friend. It's mm-hmm. like you have to do that in order to get yep. to that status. Yep. And it's, I, I can't get over how, how many people struggle with this because it's, it's kindness. It is an act of kindness yeah. to lovingly and respectfully tell somebody that they are on the wrong path. They're, they're maybe they've done something wrong. And yeah. It's like, you know, letting one of your buddies walk around with their fly unzipped or, you know, a booger in their nose. Like, you just don't do that. <laughs> you yeah, you, you right. point. The, it's a, a kindness. Yeah. Come on. Tell them, you know, barn doors open, guy. You know, um, <laughs> so it's I just can't get over the fact that so many people struggle with that because in my mind, it's so clear. If you love somebody, then you owe it to them to be honest with them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'll say like that flies down or whatever you got something in your teeth kind of thing like oftentimes people's response is really like oh thanks like it's never like (laughs) you think i'm the uh, the worst person in the world or a big dummy and i mean i it's funny it reminds me of this story uh lindsay used to do my wife used to do cosmetology stuff with um someone who was like peyton manning's like cosmetology person or whatever mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, i'm oh. sorry i don't know those words so anyway um neither do i <laughs> there was they were having a commercial or whatever and for peyton and um everyone was really worried they were like oh he's he's got something in his teeth and we, we don't know what to do and uh she just went up to him and was like hey um everyone's kind of freaking out uh you you have something in your teeth and he just looked down at her and he's like we'll get it out <laughs> and he just, like, she just reached up and got out. He was like, "Thank you. That's that's great." Yeah. <laughs> like, people are not going to lose their mind over something like that, and we put way too much emphasis on that. And when it's really, they're going to see the love in it, and they're going to see you have yeah. their best interest in mind. Totally. Put, Who hasn't had that happen? Right. right. We, we create all, all these teeth. stories. Yeah, we all create these stories of how people will react in worst case scenario. I'm speaking from experience in case anyone's wondering. We create these stories in our heads of how someone's going to react when you say something like that. But we never stop to think of, well, how would I react if someone said that to me? Because my reaction would be, oh my gosh, you just saved my life. Thank you so much. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, hey, you saved me a ton of embarrassment by telling me that my fly is down rather than just flying off the handle. Why the hell would you talk to me about that? Why would you, why are you looking at my crotch? That kind of stuff. You know, so. <laughs> This is where my head goes, guys. This is where my head goes. There's, okay? there's more embarrassment if you don't tell me my fly's undone. Okay, right? there's going to be far more embarrassment. Yeah, way more than than that. So, yeah. And I think that's the same. It's it's the exact same thing when you see somebody making a mistake in business or in leadership. Mm-hmm. It is an act of kindness, and we should embrace it as such. And yeah. uh, you know, tell me, tell me all the things. You know, I, that's what I, my approach is. You tell me everything that I need to know about how to be better because mm-hmm. I I absolutely start from a place of I don't know everything and I'm never going to know everything. 
And so I need to be in a position of listening and taking that information in because uh, otherwise I'll never grow, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you know if you're entitled as a leader and or how do you overcome that mentality? I've been there a few times, so <laughs> I I found myself in that spot and where I got a little too in love with my title and my position and the authority that I had, for instance. And so there were times when I I thought um, I I, sh- I shouldn't do that because I'm you know I'm the boss or whatever. And and there are often times when that is the case. You know, when you think about activity from a pure ROI standpoint, the most expensive person in the room should not be sweeping the floor. <clears throat> it just doesn't make sense. Um, so what you, what you hear a lot is, um, is sort of incomplete delegation. I, that's, that's almost the way I, I think about it, where somebody will say, oh, yeah, yeah, you go do this. Well, that's, that's an entitled leader, in my opinion, because they're not setting great expectations. They're not being clear about any requirements for the thing. They're just saying, you go do this because I'm too too good to handle it or I'm too big to handle it. And so you get this almost what an incomplete delegation where they they just kick stuff off because of they don't think that they should be the ones doing it. And so when I see that happening, what do I do about it? You know, I, I guess I remind them that if they want the thing done well, they're going to have to set great expectations and be clear about requirements. And so often how this looks is somebody will come to me and they'll be complaining and they'll complain about the fact that their people are just not doing their jobs. And I'll say, okay, well, give me an example. And the example is usually something like I gave him this task and it's, it came back to me and it's, it's exactly not what I wanted. And so I start asking questions about what did you tell him you wanted? (laughs) <laughs> right. And, and generally speaking, they didn't tell them enough. And yeah. it's almost always a failure of leadership when those things happen. It's the failure yeah. of the leader to not set those expectations and not detail requirements, not tell about deliverables that, that need to be done at a certain period of time. They just go. And I don't think it's, it's malicious. I think they just go too fast sometimes. Hmm. Yeah. You are... I, I loved hearing you say, yeah, I, I definitely had those times where I got too big for my britches, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. which that may be the oldest comment I've ever said in my life. Um, <laughs> anyway, the <laughs> I know that <laughs> what's so cool about that is you are like one of the most unentitled people I know. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a testament in itself to other people that like I, I know exactly what you're talking about of going through those times like I'm. I make this and I, I, I'm, I should not be doing this. And yes, there is an aspect of that, but sometimes you need to get your ass down and get dirty and you need yeah. to remember and feel and experience that stuff because one of the worst things you can do as a leader is be misaligned with your organization and your team. And by, by getting to that in place of entitlement, that's, that's where you, it essentially will lead you. You'll, you'll be running in a direction. You just might be alone. And yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think you're right. I think you got to be self-aware I think you got to look back at yourself and, and really be able to see what, what's my real motivation here. And yep. if we're honest with ourselves and, and maybe it's just a little easier for eights here, I it's really easy for me to be like, yeah, that was completely selfish and I'm doing this for me right now. Yeah. Um, and that might be harder for other people, but 
hint, hint, that's why you should have somebody like Jen in your life. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They let you know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I think we talked about this last time. I know we did. Um, I, it took me almost dying to get there. So I was right. very entitled ahead of that uh, health crisis that I had um, when I was 32. And I, I definitely was too big for my britches. And I was totally uh, in love with the way that I led. And I was a terrorist. I mean, I was, yeah. I literally made a drill sergeant cry. I mean, it, it just wasn't great. Oh, and gosh. wow. I know it was bad. I mean, and not just a, a tear. Like I had that guy bawling for, in my office for 10 minutes while I yelled at him. And it wasn't, it's not a proud moment. Jerry, I'm sorry, by the way, buddy, if you're listening, I really apologize. I've gotten a lot better. Um, and so uh, it really took that incredibly catastrophic health scare and crisis to uh, to get to a different place. And so I think I got really lucky in that regard because I don't, I don't know that I would have changed in, if I hadn't had that happen. And that really gave me clarity to see, yep, you screwed up a bunch when you, you know, before I almost died, yeah, I screwed up a bunch and yet here I am, you know, and, and I'm still, you know, successful and, and, and yeah. kicking it. And so that's just part of it. You, sometimes you're going to screw up. And that experience helped me understand that that was just going to be a part of my life and I needed to accept it and not only accept it, but get it, create a methodology for overcoming and, and mm. some sort of rubric for for getting out of that with my brother and I call it being stuck in the mud. Um, mm. you know, your tires are just sunk into the mud and you just can't get any kind of traction really. Yeah. And mm. so we actually have an SOP for what happens when we start feeling that we're stuck in the mud. And yeah. we were able to, to create that knowing that it was going to happen over and over again. Yeah. So how does that look? That, well, the the first thing is being aware that it's happened. Mm. Because yeah. it it's that awareness is sometimes too long in coming, you know, you just don't realize it. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, it's been two weeks and I haven't made any movement on this thing. And right. so trying to get to uh, acknowledgement of the fact that you are stuck. And I think part of that is being okay with like admitting that you're stuck, you know, yeah. having the confidence to say, mm -hmm. yep, I'm stuck and I, I see it. And now let's work together. Um, so our first step in the SOP is tell somebody that you're stuck. Mm, that's good. <laughs> oh, that's really good. So simple, but so profound. That is just yes. like, like you just said that, like tell somebody. And I was like, why did that just hit me with a, like a ton of bricks? Like that just nailed. Mm -hmm. How do you come back? Like as leaders, we're going to do things that fail. We're going to hit roadblocks. We're going to have bad deals. How do you come back from those bad projects, those bad deals? Like, how do you help a leader work through that mind junk? I mean, first you got to acknowledge the trauma of it because it is mm -hmm. traumatic. When those yeah. things happen, it really is not just a, a blow to your confidence, but it's a it's almost a physical sensation in mm -hmm. a lot of ways where you're <clears throat> you're really just in this place of oh gosh, I can't believe that that pit in the stomach sort of feeling. And so acknowledge that, you know, something bad happened is the first step. It's, it is the stages of grief. It very much yeah. is, you know, trying to get past that stuff. So it's, yep, that really sucked. And, um, and, and guess what, we're going to be able to survive it. Most of the time, those mistakes are survivable uh, from a business standpoint, you know. Uh, so we're going to get through this. 
And now, why did this happen? How did this happen? Let's be curious about what decisions led up to this and do uh, almost a retrospective on it so that we can figure out where our process went wrong. And a lot of times it is a failure process where people are running so hard and so fast that they're just trying to take the next task and do the next task without any sort of strategic thought behind it. And creating a process forces you into that place of uh, what, what outcome am I looking for? Why am I doing this thing? And what should it look like when it's good and done, you know? Yeah. And why do you think, because I, I agree, I think the exit interview process to every failure is so important. Yeah. Why don't we do it? We're busy, but that's not, no excuse, you know, because yeah. if we're, we're so busy that we can't do that, we're going to have the same conversation with ourselves yeah. again because we're going to make it over and over again. And, and I already said, I hate making multiple, the same mistake over and over again. So yeah. I don't know. I, I learned, I, like, I've just been listening to uh, this great podcast called 13 Minutes to the Moon. And mm. it's about, there's two seasons. One is about uh, the Apollo 11 mission. And one is about Apollo 13. And I know that we're all probably more familiar with Apollo 13 because of the movie. But they um, they made mistake after mistake after mistake mm -hmm. after mistake. And they had to innovate on the fly when literally people's lives were at stake mm, yeah. and they have the bravery to, so, you know, there was a, uh, an Apollo mission where uh, astronauts died on the launch pad. They were doing a flight test and they, and they died. Mm -hmm. And though everybody in like um, the guy from the movie, um, Gene Kranz is his name. He, he said, well, we will never have this happen again. We are responsible they took responsibility for the loss of those lives and they said never again. And so that changed the culture at NASA. And I think that we as leaders need to be able to take responsibility also and say, you know what, this is a failure of leadership. It's a failure of vision. It's a failure of an insistence on process and on the culture of mm -hmm. being willing to make mistakes and acknowledging and learning from and never doing again kind of deal. Yeah, that's so good. We, we just actually finished um, doing a podcast on busyness mm. and you've, I'm sure you've heard uh, Jim Collins quote uh, that the enemy of great is not bad. It's good. Good. And I think what I, what I ended up saying was I think the biggest evangelist of good is busyness and that it is the thing that is going to keep us feeling like we're moving the, the stick or whatever, but we're just truly not. That was an awesome chime to get right. that. That's amazing. Let's go. It's <laughs> my driveway alarm. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, no, that's totally fine. All good. That stays in, by the way. Don't 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 take that out. That don't stays in. Yeah, that's <laughs> but it, you're right. I think busyness keeps us from really getting to know. And I I think sometimes we just don't want to do the work too. Like yeah. we we it takes work to look at that thing and we're gonna find out what's not working. But that's that's a true sign of a leader or just somebody trying to move an agenda. Yeah. I think there's also a, a big fear of knowing how bad it is or was. Right. Yep. And, yeah. and our minds that's right. Our minds go to this place where, like Blake, you've said this to me before a lot. It's never as good as we think, but it's also never as bad as we think. Right. So our perspective is always, we always go to the extremes. Oh, this is going to be absolutely amazing and it's going to be perfect. And we set our expectations there. And when it's not, we feel disappointed. 
the same thing is true on the bad side of things. When we look at something and we go, shit, this is going to be horrible. This is going to be the worst. It's the end of the world. And I'm just, if I don't look at it, maybe I won't have to face it or maybe I won't have to think about it. And we have that fear of that, the reality of the, of the, the mistake or the failure when it, if we really were to take the time to look at it, we would realize we get some actionable t- uh, data out of it so that we know how to not make the mistake in the, again. And more likely than not, it's not as bad as we actually think it's going to be because it's not the end of the world. We can keep moving. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you're, you're both right. It's the busyness is a, is, is a covering activity. It is, yeah. it is. Look, look at me, look at me. I'm, I'm doing all of these things. Mm. Are you doing the right things? That's what I want to know. Like, I don't right, care right. if you get it all done. I want you to get the most important things done. And then it's a matter of also, just like you said, Pete, not wanting to acknowledge how, how, how it was really our fault. Um, yeah. if, if you're the leader, yep. ultimately anything that happens in your company is your fault. Yeah, uh, right. Even if it's, you know, some employee did something, well, that was probably a bad hire. Who hired them? Well, my supervisor hired them. Well, who trained your supervisor? What's your, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what's your, yep. All the way up to you, you know, it, the, the buck yep. truly does stop with the leader. And so you've got to take responsibility for these things. And if you don't, then um, you are going to, to seek refuge in activity um, mm. as a cover, as a camouflage for your lack of leadership. Yeah, and Peter, you something you said kind of triggered this thought. You said the um, you kind of talked about that it's never as bad as it seems. The thing that I think about is like think about the worst thing you ever went through. If you're listening to this right now, think about the first thing you or the worst thing you've ever gone through. You're still here. Yeah, yeah. you made That's it. True. Like Jen, you were on your deathbed. Yeah, and here you are today. And you've made it and it's part of your story, not in a part that was like, oh, so neat, but it was impactful. And so, yes, it's never as bad as it seems, but it might be horrible, but you'll make it right. Totally, totally. And, and I have to tell you that that experience gives me endless confidence I mean, mm. absolutely endless confidence. When they tell you you're going to die and you don't die, I'll tell you what, you feel like you're a stud. You feel like you can, <laughs> you can run through walls. You can do yeah, anything. Yeah. And and so uh, as bad as that was, it really helped me understand that, uh, you know, most things aren't that bad. Uh, as if you got, if you got your health, if you've got, uh, you know, at least one person in the world who loves you, if you've got curiosity and the willingness to learn, you're probably going to be all right, kid. What is it that keeps us from that clarity, especially as leaders? I think a lot of it has to do with um, all of the demands of on, on our time and our attention, we as leaders do not carve out space for, um, we have a, a process in EOS called a clarity break. And it's really, you know, you and a notepad out probably in nature somewhere with no agenda whatsoever. And, and your job is just to let whatever thoughts bubble up, bubble up and work on those. And I think that we, we don't spend like busyness is prized over reflection and mm, yeah. and self-reflection in particular. And I think that we have to carve that time out for ourselves because if we can get to a place of stillness, those, those thoughts will come. 
they will absolutely come because if you think that they're not bubbling around somewhere in the back of your psyche, you're wrong. They're always there. Until you process that stuff, it's going to be floating around like a bunch of garbage until you can really get to the point where you understand how you feel about it and what you're going to do about it in the future. I'm guilty of not doing that often. That's that's so good. I don't remember who said this. But there's there's a quote that I've been because I just had one of these clarity days maybe like a month ago of like I just got to get out. Went to a, a buddy's tree farm and I just fell asleep in the middle of a field, thought through things, and like really had that grounding, if you will. Um, but there's a I don't remember who said it, but there's a quote that says um, most of man's problems come from his inability to be alone with his thoughts. Oh yeah. I like that. And it's just like, and I want to say it was maybe Twain or something like that. No, it was Pascal. It was Blaise Pascal. And that is just like, we've got problems. Everybody does, but you're not going to solve them by just staying busy and ignoring them. Like, just sit down, think about it. Don't, don't cause more problems. And I think that's the problem with busyness is it is this thing that we do over and over that actually heaps problems onto the fire, not pulls coals away. Yeah, I, I've been um, undergoing a, a transformation with my, my relationship with my phone. So <laughs> I, have, um, I am trying to view my phone as a tool instead mm. of as entertainment because I find that when I have a spare moment, I'm, I'm just scrolling, right? Mm. And so what I'm doing when I'm scrolling is just stuffing all kinds of random pieces of information in my head that don't relate to one another. It's like reading you know, uh, the first page of, of 25 books in about five minutes, you know, it, you just, <clears throat> it's, it's not, um, it's not a way to get mm. any kind of clarity. It's just a way to, to fill your head up with more. And I'm trying to get to the point where I reduce that and I'm willing mm. to sit in without my device in my hand and just look around, like look up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look at what's going on around me. Oh my God, this world's amazing. You know? Right. Yeah, use those One eye muscles. Things, <laughs> I, I, so I've been doing something similar, trying to get away from my phone so much. And one of the things that I found that helps immensely is I leave my phone in the kitchen when I go to bed at night. Mm, it's in the yeah. kitchen on the charger and I'm upstairs in bed. And it, it just that separation sometimes yeah. creates that separation in our minds of <clears throat> being able to get away from those things. Yeah, I think that's good. Anything that you can do, really. It's helpful that my phone is um, is not taking a charge very well right now. So <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like trying to preserve my battery power. And I'm like, oh, I better not do this because I need to look or, yes. you know. But it's that's very awesome. much, it's very much helping me. I, I can't tell you how much it's helping me. I deleted Twitter off of my phone. Um, and that has helped a ton in terms of not just my mood, but my ability to have space to reflect about other things. Yeah, absolutely. Jen, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you with us again today. Thank you so much. Um, mm. I think each time you're on, we laugh. Uh, I think both of us, we cry. Uh, just going to be honest on that one. Um, and we have moments of, of aha and clarity. And I just, I, I just so appreciate your uh, speaking into, into our lives today here on this podcast. And then just in general, I just, it's, it's been amazing to, to know you and thank you so much for coming on. A um, couple of things I constantly am going to remember from this podcast are in the review mirror, right? Put your, acknowledge your mistakes, put them in the review mirror, keep moving, and then accelerate the stages of grief. 
Mm. Right. When it comes to mistakes, just accelerate that. I love that so much. Thank you so much. Really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, it's my my pleasure. It's a it's a blessing to be your friend. Same here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us this week on the Ridgeline Leadership Podcast. See you guys next time. Also, we'd like to thank our very own Luke Van Tress, aka Mr. Boxes, for our kick-ass original theme song. 